Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and bottled water aficionado. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and tarantula apologist. Tell me more about that. I love tarantulas. Uh, and you, you're sorry for their actions and behavior? Yeah, people don't like that. I had an ex-girlfriend who was like so scared of spiders and thought spiders were the worst thing ever and hated them and like was like, don't even talk to me about spiders. And then I thought, I was like, well, tarantulas are kind of cute. And she was like, don't even look at me right now. And that's why you guys aren't together anymore? (laughs) Because of our different opinions on tarantulas, which are fuzzy and cute. I don't know why. I would not be scared of something big. Like, you know what I mean? Like a big spider. It's like you can see where it is. You get it. They're poisonous, some of them. Uh, yeah, sure. But they they don't really, I think it's like the thing, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like their teeth aren't really big enough to make that much of an impact on a person. No, you can die from spider bites. No, spider bites, but I don't think tarantula bites. Oh, okay. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Oh, okay. It's freaking me out. Oh, see? Okay. So you don't like, spi- you know what I don't, I hate the most? What? Ants. But I love, I love spiders. You don't like spiders? I can't talk about this anymore. Well, Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Just Between Us. spiders. Welcome to Just Between Us, a podcast about brutal honesty. Female friendship. And completely unsolicited advice. And spiders. Stop it. What? Okay, small ones, bad. I I don't want to talk about this. Okay, fine. I just don't want people to have the wrong idea about spiders. Okay, well, I don't want people to have the wrong idea about possums. Oh, go on. I love them and they're very cute. I kind of think they're cute too. Yeah, I have no issues with rodents. They Any don't. rodents? Yeah, I don't mind rodents. If there was a mouse in your house, you wouldn't care? Um, it's hard. A mouse, I mean, I'd be like, oh no, it's dirty. But I, I think like if I like got to go play with a mouse, that'd be fun. Oh yeah, like at a pet store? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I, um, I feel like rats are really smart. Again, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh no, disease. But like I don't want like bugs in my home. Right. Well, yeah, bugs are terrible. I, I don't think if a mouse was in my house, I might lose my mind. I My mom has caught mouses before. What? Yes, like using like a bucket. And we've never what? we've never been more proud. Oh, my God. Yeah, I agree that possums are, are, I mean, I think they're kind of scary. I think they attack, right? But they are cute. They're so cute. And I think bats are really cute. Bats are adorable. I'm like on the bat train like crazy. Their faces are so cute. I don't know if this is why people listen to this show. No. So <laughs> we have a very exciting episode for you this week. Uh-huh. This week we're asking Sinead Burke some tough questions. And later we'll be talking about New Year's resolutions. But first, international question. International question. International question. Emma, New York. She says, I love my boyfriend and I want our relationship to work. How do I make my heart stop crying out for my ex and move on? Ugh. Okay, so I've been going mostly back and forth between the same two exes for the past three years because they are where I feel safe and comfortable. Yikes. They both have their asshole moments and are very similar on paper. I have been in a serious relationship with the second guy for almost a year now and was feeling guilty about my connection to the first. So I spontaneously blocked him across the board. Done that. Been there. Yeah, is this? Did you write this? (laughs) Two weeks into that, I was feeling really guilty about how I handled it. So I texted him from my friend's phone. Uh, I did not expect a response because I always figured he just knew how I felt. 
given how many times I let him walk all over me and the number of times he made me cry in public. Oh, my God. However, he replied to my friend's phone with a surprisingly kind message along the lines of, I am so sorry I never knew you felt that way. Of course, I will give you your space. But if you want to talk, I am here. Because her message basically said, it hurts for me to be around you, so I need some space. Yeah, and they can't be friends. Ugh. Did, well, you, did you write to, this? Yeah, welcome to age age 25. 25 oh, I guess to we 27. Were together then. Yeah, or like 27 to early 29. Yeah. Uh, this was my life. Yeah. Uh, I spent years of my life um, hung up on an ex. Mm-hmm. And it's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting to like keep letting someone back into your life in different ways or like believing, oh, no, we can be friends. Oh, no, we can't be friends. I don't know that I've ever experienced this. Well, what's really interesting to me with Emma's story is like (laughs) the idea of that she's like, well, he knows how I feel about him. And and, like, we're clearly on the same page about that. And he knows every, you know, that he causes me turmoil. And he was like, oh, this is uncomfortable for you. Sorry. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you can't assume. I hate like assuming what someone else is thinking. Like you have to talk to them. But also sometimes they just are in denial about it. Like the ex, like, you know what I mean? Like they don't want to take responsibility for your feelings and they don't want to like be the bad guy. And so even though maybe you've expressed things many Mm -hmm. times that like it doesn't sink in with them. Because they're like, I don't want my ex to hate me. I don't want to think that I'm causing another person stress. Yeah. Or like in their head, it's like, oh, like I can handle being friends with this person. So Mm. why can't they handle being friends with me? I do have that. Like, I think I would be able to be friends with certain exes, but I think they they wouldn't be able to. And part of it is you having to be like, okay, I recognize that. So therefore I will not be friends with those people. Yes. You have to like make the decision to leave them alone. Right. Which I have done. Yes. And my ex in question never did. I feel like I held like 90% of the hurt mm-hmm. and he had about 10% of the hurt. Mm-hmm. So it was easy for him to like, be in touch with me and be friends with me because he didn't he was not longing for us to end up together yeah yeah and so for me i you know i went through two serious relationships still ostensibly in love with my Mm ex-boyfriend and um that was tricky (laughs) yeah well i think you thought like no the we have the reason i'm so hung up on him is because we are meant to be together yes which emma probably feels too or yeah, like I um I I created a narrative in my mind of like, oh, and how crazy will it be when we get back together? Yeah. And yeah, everyone yeah. will be like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. And then it'll be like fifty years from now and be like, It's always been you, babe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which Emma, like I think I think blocking him is correct. Um yeah. I also, think- also like I was not the only girl that felt that way. Yeah. Like there are certain personalities who kind of like cultivate that kind of like obsession because Mm -hmm. they're so hot and cold with their behavior. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm sure that there's multiple girls out there who thought like in 50 years we'll be Mm -hmm. like it was always us, babe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I obviously don't know the dynamic between like Emma and and her ex, but this could be a fucked up thing to say. But I think if she is still so hung up on him Mm -hmm. that she should not be in the relationship she's in. I know because if your boyfriend knew that you had written this in, would would, would he be devastated? Yeah, would he yeah. be devastated? 
Or like, you know, I don't like doing anything behind someone's back that they wouldn't like, uh-huh. you know? So like if he knew that you had texted this other guy this thing, would he be like, oh, that's great. Like she she doesn't want to have him in her life and uh, she's focusing on me. Or would he be like, oh, she's still so upset and affected by this other person that it hurts my feelings. Right. I mean, you don't go out and like mass block someone because you're over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and I, um, and it's interesting because it's like, I think what Emma needs to realize is that what she's most likely responding to is his ad- addictive nature. Mm. So when, and like, I think we've talked about this, like when someone gives you affection sometimes mm-hmm. and then pulls it away mm-hmm. and then gives it to you again and then pulls it away mm-hmm. and like it becomes like a drug mm-hmm. and you become addicted to that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so, um, especially because like in this very short paragraph, we've already learned that they have asshole moments and that that the Other ex guy has made, made her, her cry. Yeah, that the ex has made her cry in yeah. public a number of times. Wow, same. So um, what was <laughs> so what was so good that you can ignore that? I mean, I yeah. was addicted to him. Yeah, and um, now in my current relationship, yeah, I'm, I am over it. Like, yeah, no, I, I know. You know, like I. So she's not with the right person correct. because she's not over it, right? She's either not with the right person or she's not ready, ready. for this person. Mm-hmm. So I think she's got to, uh, I'm very sorry, Emma. I think you have to break up with your current boyfriend. I think you and be need alone. to, yeah, and like be alone. Yeah. I also think sometimes it's worth trying one more time just to realize it's not that great. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But like almost like putting it all out there and being like, let's try it. And yeah. then like, you know, just so that you know, like in your anxiety ridden brain that you've you've done everything. And that he's and that he's not into it. Right, and it's still not mm-hmm, happening. Mm-hmm. You're still not in a relationship with that person. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other option is block him on everything and try to focus on the boyfriend. Like try to be like present and day to day and just be like, I'm not going to have any contact, like cold turkey this guy away. Yeah. And maybe the the boyfriend is like, because she wants it to work. So maybe the boyfriend is like help, helpful to that. Because if she was alone, maybe she would just stew or get lonely and try to contact this bad ex, you know? I just get, and again, I, I could be wrong. I get the sense that neither of these guys is the right guy. Um, yeah. They, they both feel like, familiar and there's uh mm-hmm. there's safeness to it i think that like emma needs to take a break from both of them and be like my story is starting over mm-hmm. i could like, see that my story is not like this like epic love affair with between two men and and then i finally pick the right one and then we gallop off into the sunset <laughs> i think it's like my new life is i'm single i'm working on me yeah i'm figuring out why it's so hard for me to connect with new people yeah. maybe working through those issues of trust and then finding someone who is a better fit who you're you're not because con- it, it's a shitty feeling to be thinking about someone else when you're with a partner <sighs> yeah yeah, I just worry about backsliding because you don't have any accountability, which the other boyfriend is your accountability. Is that a reason to be with someone? Because they keep you from texting your ex? Well, no, but... You'll be like, you're my rehab. I don't love you, but you're a great rehab. He's a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, he's our sponsor. Yeah, I don't know. I think like I think you would have to be honest with the boyfriend and say what's going on. I think here's what my, my therapist said to do. Just 
talk to the person, say what you feel, and then don't make any decisions. Like, don't break up with him. Just sit and be like, here's what's going on with me. Here's what I did. How do you feel about that? Just be like, I'm still upset about my breakup with so-and-so. And I I texted him that I don't want to see him anymore. And I blocked him on everything uh, because I was so, I, it was too much. Yeah, but much. then she reached out to him again That's from her friend's phone. Yeah. So she's like, I, she has to tell the boyfriend all of that. And then let him decide if he feels betrayed or if he feels what he feels about oh, it. I'm like sweating thinking about that conversation. You have to. I think you have to give him all the information and let him and see how he feels about it. Mm-hmm. And if he's like, oh. but how would you feel about that if someone said that to you? I'd be like, I don't like it. Um, I don't I don't think I wish that you had told me sooner. I don't like that you did that. I'm going to take some time and think about it. Give me like a couple days to process what you just told me and think about it. And then I would take some time and be like, do I actually want to be with this person? I think that would be, I would leave. You would? Yeah. If someone said that? Yeah. 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 I mean, or at it least I would want to have the strength to leave. Yeah, but it gives you the agency then. Like let the boyfriend decide what he thinks about it. I just <laughs> like giving people all the information. Yeah. I think that's important. Okay, so uh, Gabby's vote is to sit your boyfriend down and say, hey, man, I'm crushing on someone no, else. No, just tell him the truth. Just <laughs> tell be him like, the truth. I, I, blocked, I blocked this other guy because I still have feelings for him, but I want to focus on you and I don't want to deal with him. Uh, and then I texted him from so-and-so's phone and I told him the reason that I blocked him. And then uh, he said he will give me space. So... I want to focus on you and he's giving me space and I asked for space. What do you think about that? And my brutal advice is uh, you got to break up with your boyfriend and, well, and tell him what reason you can just say that. I think, uh, I mean, you can just say like, I'm not ready. I'm not fully in this relationship. Okay. Well, like, those are two options. Yeah. And then in your head, start fantasizing about something else. Start telling yourself a different narrative mm. that it is not that like either of these guys are the guy for you. Yeah. They're not. You got to start over. You got to start over. And guess what? Starting over is great. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our guest, Sinead Burke. Ooh, stick around. Just between us. To just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. <gasps> we like to oversell it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I just took a big gasp. So That's the I'm reaction ready. that we want. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, I'm on the edge of my seat, figuratively and literally. <laughs> our, uh, our guest that you just heard with uh, her lovely accent is activist Sinead Burke. Hello. Hi. This Welcome. is such a treat. Thank you for having me. Uh, Sinead is wearing an incredible Gucci suit right now. It's absurd. Um, <laughs> and my sincerest apologies. But Why? I absolutely love it. But yeah. I think it may be a bit much for a recording studio. But you're learning so much about my personality from the moment I walk in the door on my wardrobe alone, which I think is, you know, no, that's important. so much a part of my personality. <laughs> you're welcome. Your appearance is your first... Uh, opportunity to get people to get to know you. Yeah, and for me, I'm a little person. I'm disabled. I stand at the height of 105 and a half centimeters. And when I physically enter spaces based on my physicality, often the world has assumptions about who I am and mm -hmm. what I can do. And fashion is this amazing tool to either 
juxtapose that or to contrast it in some way. So yeah, walking into a room in a head-to-toe monogram Gucci suit says things about a person, what those things are and whether or not they're good. Entirely different things. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so like, can we talk about like what, when did you get into fashion? Like what is your, when did, what's your origin story there? It was totally accidental. So my background's in education. I trained as an elementary school teacher and one of the assignments that we had in university and in college from our IT lecture was to create a blog because his idea was blogging was this a way to bring home and school together Mm. because if you have nephews or nieces or you know children you know they come home from school and a parent will say what did you do today and the child will say nothing (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean you did nothing so his idea was that we could start these blogs and write about what was happening in our classroom and for the assignment we had to set up one and he said you can write about anything you want oh and what he meant was in education right (laughs) but that's not what he said so i wrote about (laughs) kate blanchett wearing givenchy couture to the oscars and why as irish people we cannot call things that we buy in the high street couture because it has to be handmade in paris and he took my assignment and was like oh okay (laughs) you pass and i was always interested in fashion as like what we were talking about to talk about culture and identity and yet Because I was disabled, I was excluded from all of the things that I wanted to interact with. So my way in was to learn everything I could about the industry. I wanted to know who the gatekeepers were. I wanted to know how we could possibly change it, never realizing that I could ever be in a position where that was possible. So I just spent every evening around the dining room table telling my mom, going, guess what Claire Wake Keller did today. And my mom's like, is she a friend? <laughs> and I said, well, no, she's the creative director of Givenchy. And my mom's like, lovely. What, what did she did, do? Did she call you? No, no, I just read about it on WWD. And my mother, in her most supportive way of doing and being things, turned to me and said, is there a friend that you could talk to about this? <laughs> Anybody? And none of the people who I loved wanted to listen to these conversations. So the internet was this safe space where I just began documenting on that same blog the things that intrigued me about fashion. And 10 years later, mm-hmm. here we are in Head to Toe Gucci. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did, you, how did you go about being like, hey, I'm, I'm a little person and I need like different, I need you guys to design stuff differently or I need to like, when did it start to dovetail with the activism? So I did a TED Talk in New York in 2017 called Why Design Should Include Everyone. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't specific about fashion, but looking at design as this entire space that we all exist within and Mm how Like buildings and infrastructure and all that stuff. And the world. Yeah. And I am disabled genetically, but I'm also disabled by design because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're currently sitting here in this beautiful recording studio. And in order for me to access these chairs in the same way that you do, you have very kindly provided a footstool. Mm -hmm. And that's because when the world was designing chairs like these, they never thought about children or they never thought about different kinds of people who might need them. So that's how I realize and, and become disabled. So I did that and it was probably the most nervous I have ever been. <laughs> I just felt violently unwell before it. And I remember talking to my parents and they gave me some advice and they said, you know, maybe, maybe no one will watch it. Like maybe you're getting, oh my God. <laughs> maybe you're getting nervous oh over, over, over very little. Like, you know, it's, it's just a talk. You're just talking to people. And, and I did and tried to kind of own that moment. And then from that, I was invited to come and speak at the Business of Fashion Voices conference. And then 
kind of brought the argument mostly into the fashion domain and talked about how this was an opportunity for creativity. Mm-hmm. This, was a, this was an opportunity for innovation and it was an opportunity for profitability because, you know, disabled consumers globally have a spending power of anywhere from one to seven billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And why are we not looking at these individuals, not just as prospective consumers, but creators? Because I think we're all shaped by who we are and by our own experiences. So I'm naturally creative because like that, if I had to get up on this chair without a footstool, I'd have to be in this room going, okay, how am I going to do it? Am I going to take a run and jump? No, Mm because I'll probably fall. But actually, I see a trash can in the corner. I'm going to turn that upside down and climb on. So like, what's the problem solving? Yeah. And what's the value of that within a workspace? So that was kind of the, the big turning point for me within the fashion industry. And then all of a sudden you're on the cover of the business of fashion with Kim Kardashian and a year later on the cover of the September issue of British Vogue, which, believe me, is wild to me. Oh, like, I no. fundamentally believe that somebody paid them to put me on and it's probably my parents. Um, <laughs> no, your parents, kind to them. it seems like they're not interested. They're so. so supportive. They're like, that's so great, tell a friend. They're yeah. so supportive. And I am a success today, genuinely, because I'm a loved child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... No matter what it is that I have wanted to do, be it being a teacher or be it working in the fashion industry, they have always supported it. But with a real sense of, they don't love fashion in the way that I do. Probably Mm -hmm. because they've never had to. Right. You know, my interest in fashion stemmed out of feeling excluded and Mm -hmm. and in need. So it's always really interesting to me when I talk to them about it. And they're so proud of me without any real understanding of what the room <laughs> is. But at the same time, they just want the best for me within that space. When I was, I had the wonderful experience and opportunity to go, to go to the Met Gala this year. Oh my oh God. What? Yeah. It, and I was the first little person to ever go to the Met Gala. And we did an access audit on the stairs, on the bathrooms, mm-hmm. on the room itself, making sure that different types of people could enter into it. And I remember I was so unwell with nerves mm-hmm. that morning. And I rang my dad just to try and get a wonderful sense of perspective. And he was like, Sinead, it's a party in a museum. (laughs) Go have fun. Uh, I was like, that is a great way to look at it, dad. Um, And for me, that's super helpful Mm -hmm. and wonderful. And I think if somebody has your best intent at heart at all times, even if they don't understand the context and the nuances, it's, it's so important. Well, it's so true to break down big moments into like reality and yeah. like and and just like what would someone who didn't know what was going on think that this moment is? Right. And it's like someone's talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like exactly. it's not that big of a deal. No, and I think it, it really helps ground you because when there is these moments, you know, I was really conscious of the fact that I can speak for myself and my own experiences and I can try to use that lens mm-hmm. to talk broadly about other concepts, but I can't speak for you. I can't speak for another little person. Our experiences might be entirely different. And when you're on the red carpet at a moment like the Met Gala, you're very conscious that quite a portion of the world is watching. Mm -hmm. And based on your behaviors will shape how they engage with other little people and and other disabled people and different types of people. And as unfair as that may be, that's our reality. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to do the best to represent yourself, all the while not being able to represent others. It's this oxymoron of sorts. Yeah, because there's not a lot of inclusion. So it's like unfortunate that you are the one that everyone's going to look at and be like, okay, let's see the stereotypes. Let's not, let's see if they, uh, you know, surpass the stereotypes, whatever it is. Exactly. And my job then is to not just be the first, but to be an individual 
and an entity that can leverage other voices mm -hmm. and bring those people with you and find opportunities to support and to mentor and to invite to the table. But yeah, you're constantly juggling. This is a great moment for me, but actually there's so much work to do, <laughs> which is quite nice. What has like the feedback been from your work from people in your community? In my community, a huge amount of support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I'm gr incredibly grateful for it. And for me, it's about talking to particularly younger women who mm -hmm. are maybe anywhere age eight to age 16, who you ask them what it is they want to do and they say, I'm going to work in fashion. That's great. And I don't think I would even have the confidence now at 28 to be like, <laughs> I work in fashion. <laughs> it's just not something I would say. And I think it's so extraordinary that somebody who's 16 can view themselves in that space. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's that's just me. I'm not taking uh, ownership over that. But, no, but I, think I think it's that extraordinary. You, you should. Like, you know, like the that's why representation matters. Yeah. Because when you see someone like you succeeding, you're like, oh, that's a thing that could happen. Absolutely. And I was lucky that I had parents who believed in me. Mm -hmm. And when I said bizarre statements like at 16 or at 20, you know, or 28, I'm going to go to the Met Gala. <laughs> My parents were like, lovely. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Feedback in the WhatsApp group. Thanks. <laughs> um, so I Wait, I'm so sorry. What did you wear to the Met Gala? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wore this extraordinary black velvet full-length Gucci dress with blue silk bows that went across my chest and it had accentuated sleeves and I had a crown, of <gasps> course. You have to and have a crown. these beautiful chandelier diamond earrings and a sapphire ring because it's my birthstone with diamonds encapsulated. It was the most chic I think I've ever <laughs> and will ever look. But it was, wow. yeah, it was extraordinary. It was that piece of, you know, powering clothes. And for me... I'm constantly driven by purpose. Mm -hmm. So that dress now lives within the Gucci Garden, which is Gucci's museum in Florence and is oh, wow. a vehicle to hopefully educate people mm -hmm. or to make people think differently that when they come through this space, they kind of think, oh, well, how was that made? And yeah. how is that different? And again, it's about representation. So it's not currently in my wardrobe, sadly. It's <laughs> entertaining is, strangers in Florence. <laughs> is Gucci in particular very inclusive? They have been extraordinarily supportive of my work going forward. And I've been so lucky to work with them. At the end of last year, Marco Bizzari gave me a leadership award at the Green Carpet Challenge Awards in Milan. And from then, they have been actively listening about how we can be more inclusive. And I think, you know, they've put in place a number of strategies and proposals this year about including particularly people of colour mm. and both developing scholarships and developing employee relations and changing mm -hmm. culture and transforming and they're not the only brand that has done that Prada has done has set up a diversity council this week we have found out you know about Chanel and a number of brands stepping forward and realizing that the institution of fashion needs to change and for me there's always been this beautiful irony between everybody wearing clothes mm -hmm. and yet those who working who are working within fashion all think and look and behave and act very similarly mm -hmm. and I think consumers and the consumer voice has really made the fashion institution take a step back and realize we are not reflecting the people we need to and I think we've seen that you know Edward Enninful is the first person of color within that role within the United Kingdom as editor-in-chief of British Folk and the differences that occur when the voices in the room change is extraordinary from the questions you ask to the topics that you think are relevant mm -hmm. to the different type of voices that you amplify and I think fashion is a microcosm of the wider world, that it, if fashion can do this, 
and will do this and make it happen as quickly as possible, the rest of the world will follow. Do you feel like um, the people in your life, like friends and family, like do you see things in even them where they don't take in your point of view? I have one very good friend who, with the best of intention, will say to me on a regular basis, I don't see you as a little person. Mm-hmm. I just see you as you. And what's challenging about that, well, there's lots of things, but primarily <laughs> is that they mean it as a compliment. Right. Mm-hmm. And I often try to work out, is it because being a little person is not a compliment? Yeah. And they're trying to absolve me <laughs> of something that I didn't give consent to, but I'm very proud to be? Or is it that they're trying to position themselves as they just see me as me? And they're better. They're enlightened. Yeah. Yeah. But then what happens is they'll say, let's go to such a place for a coffee mm-hmm. or a dinner or a lunch. And I'll get there and be all high stools at a bar. And I'm like, see, oh. this is why you need to think of me as a little person. <laughs> you can't just think of me as, I just see you as you. Mm-hmm. And I think so often we have this bizarre understanding of inclusion that we need to treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. And for me, my definition of inclusion is about treating everybody fairly. Mm-hmm. And understanding that some people will need specific resources or being open to different changes in spaces and cultures. But actually, it's about having the kindness and the respect to say to somebody, what are your access needs? Mm -hmm. So that people can participate fairly rather than thinking the three of us at the table are all the same. Do you think we're moving in the right direction or is there still just so much work to be done? There is still so much work to be done. Mm -hmm. And... I'm often teetering on the boundary of this is taking too long. Mm -hmm. And also realizing that you are trying to change institutions that have existed in the way in which they currently do since time immemorial. Mm -hmm. So I'm going into chief executives and saying, hey, I know you've had power forever, (laughs) but um, I'd like you to share it. And I'd like you to share it now. That good with you? And you know, we don't really have a business proposition for this. We have some ideas that it's going to make money. So we'd like you to take your multinational, multi-billion dollar company and take a risk. How's mm. that sound? Cool. <laughs> so it's trying to educate people of the opportunities that can and will exist. And it's about being belligerent, mm-hmm. tenacious, kind. And also conscious that change takes time. And I'm very aware that the change that can occur immediately may not be as authentic as the one that will take time. Like the straws. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because people will do it for the performance of it and for the publicity Mm -hmm. of it and to be able to release a statement and to say that we have done this. We're actually, you know, we could say tomorrow that all podcasts are going to be recorded by one disabled person in the room. Yeah, but if we haven't changed all of the infrastructure surrounding the design of podcast studios, then... How? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's about constantly vying from one to the other and being the person who irritates and I think people mercilessly. What takes so long is it, it's not just like tangible changes. Uh, it's changing mindsets. Mm-hmm. It's just like changing the way that you think about things and think about the world. And changing culture. Exactly. Where you can ask, what are your access needs? Like, that's a thought that you have. I am 
often incredibly surprised by the number of people who either A, are uncomfortable with asking that, or B, have never. And yet will ask somebody habitually, are you vegan? Mm, that's so <laughs> like, true. If we're really good at asking people about their dietary requirements, which is really necessary, we should be as comfortable flexing that question when it comes to access. Like, what is it you need? But we are deeply afraid of insulting people, which again comes back to the language that being disabled is not a compliment, mm, is an mm-hmm. insult. Whereas if we say that this is about people accessing things fairly and being able to have the same opportunities, perhaps in different ways, it will transform everything. I feel like that is that is like the first step is no longer like view like like you said like viewing it as a as Insult. a detriment or something mm-hmm. you know and instead it's just like we all have different religions we're all different like we have different culture you know like it's just a different way well, of life I fundamentally believe that if I was not disabled I would not be sitting here today mm-hmm. because all that has brought me here has been somehow shaped by my disability. And I have such pride in being disabled. And if you talk to so many disabled people, there's real pride within our community. And they are not the stories that you hear. You hear the stories of inspiration. You hear the stories of how we have overcome, how we have triumphed over adversity. Mm -hmm. You don't hear the stories of just how we are happy and Mm -hmm. joyous to exist. And I think there's also a responsibility in amplifying those narratives. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to play a game? going to do this transition right now. Um, How is she going to do With terror in Sinead's eyes as she says, sure, we're live on air. (laughs) Don't worry, we're not live. (laughs) Um, So uh, this game is called Hypotheticals. Okay. You and Gabby are the contestants. Allison is the host, question mark? Yeah, I'd say host, game master, king. Okay. Lovely. So Allison's going to give us hypothetical scenarios. Okay. And then we have to say what we would do in those scenarios. Um, and we will lose. And you can ask okay. questions. I feel like you might be better at this than me, but. No. Nope. We'll, okay. Uh, and we, uh, yes, you can ask qu- follow up questions. <laughs> Good. To the, to the uh, scenarios. Before you make your decision. Yeah. Fabulous. Okay. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You find out your significant other of three years has been impersonating you to pick up chicks. <laughs> when you confront them, they say that you deserve more love than they can give you. And this is their way of amending that because so many people now think they've slept with you. Would you stay with this cheater? Question one. In order to impersonate me, have they worn my clothes? Yes. That's uh, a, that, that seems like a big they- no-no for you. <laughs> I have multiple questions to follow up, but I'll let, I'll let you go next. Are they wearing, like, a mask of your face? How are these people not have Google? Uh, they just, like, um, like in this scenario, you're not really a public figure. Okay. So they're just sort of, like, dressing like you and acting like you and, and pretend that your life story is their life story. And have they used <laughs> online dating platforms in order to make this easy, or have they just gone within your local community, so your friend pool? In this scenario, you live in a city, and okay. so they're, 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 they're not online, but they're in real life, you know, meeting people that you don't know. Like at bars and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do I love this person? Oh, yes, very much. Deeply? Deeply. How long have we been together, you said? Three years. Wow. Do we own property together? That's a great question, and I can't believe no one's asked that before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deeply practical. <laughs> um, I took that fuck off fund real seriously. <laughs> yeah. So you you own the home, but they help pay the mortgage. Woof. What percentage? Uh, they pay seventy five percent of the mortgage because okay. you pay the down payment. 
Okay. Okay. And and but but are we non-monogamous? Uh no, you were monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I can't believe you guys are giving it this much leeway. <laughs> I know. I, I I'm gonna say I would not stay with this cheater. Uh no, I'd be gone. Really? It's sort of flattering, no? I think Sinead was gone the minute you said uh, the clothes thing. No, like, <laughs> I'm already looking up and Googling, is this criminal question mark? And Ooh! can there be involvement? I think there is some sort of false pretenses law. Look at it. There up. is for I, I, would, I would leave the person and then I would move straight to Los Angeles and write the screenplay for all that had just happened in my life and then win an Oscar. That's, wow. That is the right answer. That, I think that's what I do. <laughs> so, wow, Sinead And would wins. you play yourself in the film? No, I'd probably just direct and produce. and That's smart. It's hard to do all of it. Deeply practical. <laughs> I think I'd hire like Phoebe Waller-Bridge or somebody amazing to be me and oh, be like, yeah. this is obviously the physical manifest- manifestation of myself. Thank you, Phoebe. <laughs> I'm in love with her. Me too. Um, <laughs> okay, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Okay. You want your selfish child to care more about the world, so you convince them that they have been chosen to save it, the world. Okay. Although skeptical at first, your child comes to believe they are Earth's one true savior <laughs> and devote themselves to helping humanity. The one downside is everyone thinks they're insane because they keep saying they're the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> are you a terrible parent? What age is my child? So you implant this in them when they're like um, 13 and then okay. like now we're jumping years, you know, since then they've been working on saving the planet. Oh, so we're at like what? 18? They're like 30. Oh. And yeah. they and they are working against climate change in particular? Um, Against like they're sort of, you know, like their own version of a superhero. Are they effective or egotistical? Uh, both. Oh. Do they have a superhero costume? Uh, no, because you told them that wasn't necessary. <laughs> Gosh, I'm smart. <laughs> um, so basically you gave them the... So it's kind of like a uh, like you gave them the confidence and then they became it. You know what I mean? Yes, but they're under a delusion that they are the chosen ones meant to save humanity. And is that torturing them and their mental health? No, it just means that no one will date them. That's, that could be okay. <laughs> like they can't... They, no one will really like get close to them because they think they're nuts. But I don't really have any friends. <laughs> but what they're doing is effective. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if it's for the betterment of the world. I know. That always gets me. Ugh. Do you have other kids? Um, yeah, but they won't speak to you. Oh. oh, fuck. And is there a possibility of repairing those relationships should you... No, that's about something else. That's about... Oh. That's fights about money. <laughs> This is becoming more and more complex. Yeah, you understand the game now. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot of world building. So the superhero child, are we close? Very, yeah. I think it's fine. Yeah, I'm going to leave them (laughs) in ignorant bliss. Yeah. Go save the world. All right. Okay, our final game. Are they an alien or just rude? (laughs) You go to interview a source for your job, knowing they are born and raised in America. But when you sit down, they start talking exclusively in an Irish accent. (laughs) When you ask them about the accent, they say, I don't have an accent. Are you feeling okay? I can call a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I like that these are a little bit tailored to Sinead. Yeah, I feel very attacked in a way that I'm not sure why. That's a new thing we're doing. We're like, yeah, we're merging the hypotheticals. Tailoring the the trauma. Thank you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So are they an alien or just rude? What do I work at? Uh, You're an investigative journalist. Okay. And 
Uh, are, so they investigated you, found out you were Irish, and then did an Irish accent to try to win you over? Oh. That's you making assumptions. I never said that. Yeah. I'm just saying that seems very likely. But to get the job, to get the good quote? To get the job. You know what I mean? To get the job. Oh, to get their source. They're a source, so they just want to give us a quote. Oh. Maybe they want the headline. Or the photo included. Is there a possibility that their photo could be included in the piece? Always. <laughs> but you're there to interview them about being a fifth generation American. Oh, wow. So I would feel that they're mocking me. So they're just rude. Turns out an alien has infiltrated your brain to make it sound like everyone's talking in an iron <laughs> You have a parasite? Yes. Wow. Is this predicting what's going to happen after this interview? <laughs> I, If it did, I'd... I, make a lot of money yeah. <laughs> monetize that <laughs> well you, that's not where i thought that would go but thank you i'm entertained I keep thank you, you on your toes yes you know? thank you <laughs> thank you so much for joining no, us thank you tell us all about your new podcast before you go my new podcast is called as me with sinead and it comes out in october so i get to sit with extraordinary people and I am deeply nosy as a human being. And I sit with them and I'm like, tell me more about you. What's it like you in your body? Give me your soul. Um, and incredible people. I spent this morning with Jamie Lee Curtis. And oh she... I, my life is bizarre. What? Yes. Oh my God. And then we have extraordinary conversations with Riz Ahmed, who is just oh. the most wonderful human being. And it comes out October 24th. And I am incredibly lucky to sit with people who I admire most and talk about who they are as people oh in terms of their God. own culture and identity and what it's like to be them. So, yeah, I just extrapolate their souls <laughs> <laughs> over about 35 minutes. <laughs> Incredible. Subscribe now. Um, say the name of the podcast it's one called more time. As Me with Sinead. And if you're finding Sinead difficult to say and pronounce, welcome to the club. It's <laughs> S-I-N-E-A-D. Thank Perfect. you so Thank much. You Thank so you so much. What a delight. Uh, stick around after the break. We'll be talking about New Year's resolutions as if it was December. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. 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 So despite the time of year, we wanted to talk about, by we I mean me, New Year's resolutions. Uh-huh. The concept. Yeah. Does it work? Why no. do we do it? <sighs> and what have, which ones have we made in the past? I, okay, well, speaking as a person who's never stuck to anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what? That's true. Yeah, I mean, no, well, I... Uh, you go through phases. Yeah, I mean, I go to the gym and that's... But you go through phases of that. Yeah, I mean, I go more... Let's say, like, I'll have phases where I'm going, like, three times a week and then I'll have phases where I'm going one time a week. Yeah. I also... It's been four months. I'm still doing guitar lessons. You are? Yeah. You haven't talked about it in months. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm still doing guitar lessons. Do you like it? Yeah, so I stuck to it. Would you consider that, like, a resolution, a mid-year resolution you gave yourself? Uh, yeah, because I my resolution was to have a hobby. Oh, that's great. That doesn't have to do with entertainment, do or like doesn't have to do with uh, work. like work. Yeah, yeah, that's um, what a hobby is. I know. And so I was like, "What do I?" Because I was in a writer's room, and someone was like, "What? What is your hobby?" And like someone was like, oh, "I ride my bike," and like I'm really into my bike. And someone else, and then like a 
a lot of us were like, oh my God, we don't have any hobbies. <laughs> and everyone started to panic. And so I, I think like that really shook me. And so I was like, I need a hobby. So I got a hobby. So have you ever done a New Year's resolution? <sighs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I just like the idea of um, new beginnings. Like I, mm-hmm. I like the symbolism of it mm-hmm. and the fact that like um, you can be like, okay, so this is the time right now where it makes sense to like examine the past mm-hmm. year, what's going on, like check in with yourself. I like to think what's different. Okay, what's different this year from last year? Or what do you want to be different in the upcoming year? Yeah, and how do you want to be different? But I think sometimes a tricky thing with resolutions is like there's so much guilt if you break it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like, and then sometimes it's almost easier not to even start. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. I was like trying to eat better and that went to the wayside. Yeah, I can't do that. <sighs> I did it for a little while. Um, and then, uh, like the working out has stuck, but it goes through like intensity versus like just, just a, a once a week or whatever. Um, I joined a gym like late December of uh-huh. last year. And Everyone does. I know. Well, no, because I felt very special because I joined in December it instead of January. January. And I was like, oh, I'm ahead of this phase. Oh my God. And guess what? I still go like five times a week. Yeah. So that worked out for me. That yeah. was like a really positive change to my, um, daily life. Yeah, into, like, your mental health and stuff. Yeah, because I'd been working out at home, and that just, like, I hated those workouts, and it was, like, brutal. And, mm-hmm. I, and like, I would wake up every day dreading it. Where yeah. with the gym, I'm like, I can do this. It just sweats pouring off my arms. You're somewhere else. Yeah, you've, and I, like, gone somewhere. I like machines. Okay. So that made it easier. Yeah. Um, but also, like, around that time, too, was when I was like, okay, I'm going to lose the rest of the weight mm-hmm. that I'd gained on Zoloft. Mm-hmm. And I had like 11 pounds to go. And I went like w- w- at it. Like mm-hmm. I like lost like four pounds in a week. And then I like switched to doing it on my own, but like really like calorie counting and all this stuff. And I and I lost the weight. And there was like this huge sense of accomplishment. Uh, and then guess what? I've gained most of it back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. None of that stuff works. Sorry to say. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. Like I just, I lost... Uh, the resolve around it. Well, it was tricky because I was like, oh, I just need to lose the weight and then like my body will be back at the weight that it's nor- used to being and then it will, it'll stabilize. No. But that didn't happen. But I think that that was my most like, this is what I'm doing and I'm, I'm going hard at it. You felt like, like you had a purpose? Yeah, or like this, that was like my, I don't even know if it was a New Year's resolution or it was just like ex- when it was happening. Yeah. But that was like my biggest like, and it's, this is all I'm thinking about. You know what's a good New Year's resolution that maybe is like easier to stick to because it's not about you is like volunteering. Like if you're doing a suicide hotline, you have to show up, <laughs> you know, or like- Because you have an assigned shift. I think so, yeah. Or like certain places you, you do have to, like when I did 826, you had to be there at a certain time. I don't know what that is. And you were like in trouble. Um, it's uh like, it's in different cities. It's like a literacy program. So you go and you like have, you like read with kids and you- do their homework with them essentially Mm. or like teach them their homework which was so hard for me to do because they'd be like here's my math homework I'm in fifth grade and I'd be like I'm a fucking idiot (laughs) I don't know anything but I'd be like okay well what did your teacher say to do (laughs) yeah I also know I'm an adult well it's just nice for you to be there yeah but it was also like I don't know how helpful I was with anything other than like English homework (laughs) 
Well, in terms of like better resolutions, I also think like things like being kinder to yourself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like calling your family more. Yeah, that those are I think kind of easy to do. Yeah, or like they're they um like enrich your life mm-hmm. and make it better versus just like more like I don't know superficial stuff like weight loss or like yeah you know. Uh, things that affect other people are always that's what I mean it's like nicer and like it's I think there's more accountability because you can see like oh my relationship is getting with my you know is getting better with these people or like I'm doing I feel better because I'm like internally being nicer to myself or I'm helping other people or whatever it is I think a great resolution for everyone is is um to show more gratitude Oh, interesting. When you said um, uh, like taking stock of the year, I think it's that's like the thing of I like to see what's different. So like last year, what was I doing versus now New Year's? What am I doing? Who's in my life? What's different? What's what's like what have I accomplished? What's like uh, what have I bettered? You know what I mean? Like I like to do the gratitude of like how, what good things happened this year. Yeah. But also just like, I think you're so much happier as a person when you're grateful for stuff. Yeah. And when you also don't, like you you vocalize that gratitude. Mm-hmm. You, you write it down. Or you, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean like vocalizing it to the people in your life. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, like thanking people for being there for you, like expressing how much things people mean to you, mm-hmm. you know, recognizing like the things in your life that um, are good and valuable mm-hmm. uh, instead of focusing on the negative. Like, hey, this past year, like, it's an excuse to be like, hey, this past year, you really helped me with this. Thank you so much. Yeah, but also I'm just reflecting like every single day, like mm. changing your mindset to focus on gratitude mm-hmm. um, and like and making sure that like you're sharing that with people around you. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's always good. I, I, like the end of the year is a good excuse to make a, make a list, though. To like make a yeah, list. you're just really pushing lists. I just think because it's visual, you can see like what what has been good, what what would I like to change. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I feel really helpless though because in career stuff, I don't have the power to change things. You know, mm-hmm. like I can't just like give myself a show or like approve a certain project, and so uh, I that's when like things like gratitude for like family. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel so helpless in my career that I have to like like give more weight to the rest of my life what's your if you had to make a resolution for this coming year what would you what would it be um well i did start trauma therapy so that's good that's something i've wanted to do that's great yeah yeah it's rough i i don't like it (laughs) how many weeks do you have left um three uh three uh is it helping yeah but i'm so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um I'm just, I, it's like sitting in discomfort maybe would be a good resolution. Like just being like, you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Then you have to just be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Cause it's bad. Like I don't like, you know, there's, I think a lot of stuff that I've blocked out and she's sort of trying to like open those doors and I'm like, I wish you wouldn't, <laughs> but also I'm paying you to do it. Right. So I think like sitting in discomfort is probably something I need to just do. Sitting in like, you know, what, okay, you're, you don't have a handle on this. You're not controlling it. You're, you know, you're learning stuff that you don't want to learn. So here you go. But you got to like, otherwise it's never going to get untangled. So you got to like do the uncomfortable stuff so that 
you can, it feels like a knot, right? And then you untangle, you're like, oh, I hate it. But then you, it, once I have faith that once I'm untangled, it'll be like, Whew. yeah, you know, I think so. But it's so rough goings. What if you don't feel done at the end of this set, these sessions? So I can you, keep going. You can just keep going. Yeah. But I don't like it. I, uh, I don't like, I don't look forward to going, but I have to go. So yeah. it does feel like a resolution. That's great. Yeah. I think, I mean, I hope it it will be, you know, be better and fix some things. That's the whole thing. The whole point of having any money right now is just to spend it on like mental health stuff. That's all I spend it on. <laughs> and guitar lessons. And my guitar lessons. Which I'd argue help your mental health. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can practice the guitar and lose like three hours. And I feel really bad for my neighbors because they've just heard Radioactive by Imagine Dragons for three hours. Oh. <laughs> you could play for three hours? I, yeah, I lose my... Because I'm like practicing and I'm yeah. like m- messing up. I start over, mess up, start over with the song. And then also you... So you play it at 75% speed, then you play it at 80% speed, then you play it at 90% speed, then you play it at 100% speed. So wow. it can take time to do it and you like just lose track of time. Oh, that's, I've never lost track of time. It sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, never gotten to 100%. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that. Uh, Melissa, do you want to come in and, and just declare what your New Year's resolution will be? So do you have New Year's resolutions? Um, I usually like make a list (laughs) of just like things. (laughs) I that's what I do. I have always done is I just make a list of like things I want to accomplish for the year. So what, like, what are the goals on there? Um, like one of mine for 2019 was to like do more volunteer work, which I have been doing. Um, where do you volunteer? Um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then like Food Fort, which is um, a organization where after like farmer's markets, they, the food, like most of it just gets thrown away. Oh, right. So we just go around and collect it and then give it to charities and stuff. That's lovely. Oh, I love that. Wow. And, um, and so what was your favorite part, Allison? Um, I, uh, I, I loved, uh, well, I love the whole interview, but I also just love like how practical her answers were about hypotheticals. Deeply practical. Yeah. And, and how to like financially gain from every situation. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And just like what percentage and like yeah. what, like just like how down much to of the, the mortgage. I know. Da- she's really into the nitty gritty of stuff. I appreciate it. And I'm here for it. And how she was going to profit off of it. Oh, too. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was an incredible guest. Um, I mean, from the moment she walked into that Gucci suit, I was like, Oh, I'm not worthy of being in your presence. I know. Can my favorite part of the episode just be her Gucci suit? <laughs> I I was like, I, I like we show up to these looking like garbage. Hey, and then I our, tried to look nice today. Yeah. I have mascara great. on. Yeah. You. I just feel like that it was highlighted how garbage I am by how great she was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love, I mean, I love talking about uh, like inclusion in fashion, mm-hmm. which I think has come up a couple times on this show. Like, I just think it's it's such a movement that's so important right now. Uh, what was the your funniest part, Melissa? Um, my funniest part was the alien parasite in the head. <laughs> oh Love God. it. Love it. Big twist. It was. Really? I can do one accent thing, which is just an Australian person saying no. Okay, let's hear it. Nar. Nar. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. I'm worried about her. They say nar. They always say 
Nar. I've, I've personally never heard that, but I will take your word. They say no with an R at the end. If you're Australian, tell me. You say no, but you have an R at the end of it. Okay. It sounds like it. And what did we what did we learn? So much. I learned so much. So much. I also did look up the thing about if you're impersonating someone. Is it illegal? Crime, is it, it illegal? Is. Really? If, if you have sex oh. with them, it is. Oh, wow. Oh. It's called rape by de- deception. Oh. It's dark. You, you think yeah. I don't know crime? Oh, I know you learned it on crime. SVU, didn't you? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I know crimes. You cannot get any crimes past me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, we're out of order, but how do we rate the episode before we go? I rate it uh, 10 out of 10 lists. <laughs> Thank you so much to Sinead Burke for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Alison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our theme music. Our producer is Melissa D. Moss, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirano. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Spiders. Stop it! <laughs> Hi, I'm Arielle Zwim-Ross. I'm the host of Reset, a new podcast that explores the unexpected ways technology impacts our lives. I was the first climate change correspondent on American nightly TV news. And before that, I was a science reporter for The Verge. And I learned that tech isn't just your smartphone or laptop. It's the way we develop new medicines. It's how we compose music. It's our connection to friends and strangers. Tech is changing every day, and when I see those changes, I see worlds I can't wait to dive into. These days, every story is a tech story, and we're going to show you why. Follow Reset on the Stitcher app right now to be the first to hear new episodes every week.